0: This is a this is a song I I kind of wrote this for the people that, that work around here and live and make their living on the bay and the river. Some of which are in here tonight. That guy over there, Chip Bain. What? Yeah, nothing. <laughs> it's a five
1: hundred mile river from the mountains to me.
0: The I would say at this end of the bay on a west wind there's no better oyster in the whole world. Well I say the west wind, that's the way we get the water straight from the gulf. We're only a couple of miles from it and I've eaten oysters from all over the United States and when the Apalachicola oyster has that salty flavor from the gulf, you're not going to find a better oyster.
2: Hi, I'm Tampa Bay Times Features Editor Stephanie Hayes and I'm here with Laura Riley, our food critic, and we're going to discuss Shell Game, a look into saving Florida's oysters, a special project that we just released uh, looking at kind of a new way forward for Florida's decimated oyster culture in an elevator pitch. We're going up the elevator, you have 10 seconds, tell me what you were trying to write about and then we'll talk about it more.
1: So journalists around the country have written much about the, the plight of the Apalachicola oystermen. And yes, that is a part of the story that we're telling. But it's also where kind of the old school of tonging for wild oysters has butted up against uh, new technology in oyster aquaculture, or oyster farming, which is one of the fastest growing uh, pieces of our food system right now. Um, we have killed essentially 95% of the wild oysters in the world. And what has to supplant that is farming. So that was more than 10 seconds. Sorry about that. This is an editing technique (laughs) I use with Laura, and it
2: it almost never works. But that's okay because these are complicated issues and lots of layers. So let's kind of start at the beginning. Okay, say you're not from Florida. You don't know anything about Florida oysters. Describe Apalachicola and what this place
1: is like. So I think it's one of those Florida towns that they used to say it's a fishing town or a drinking town with a fishing problem. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Anyway, so it's always been the most famous town for oystering in the state of Florida Uh, until half a dozen years ago. It produced 90% of the eastern oysters eaten in Florida and 10% for the country. Um, And these are kind of big, brawny oysters. And what's special about them is because they are grown in this estuary system that has all kinds of nutrients coming down from rivers, you know, Apalachicola River and other rivers further to the north in, in Georgia. Um, they have this wonderful, salty, sweet flavor um, that a lot of oyster aficionados around the country say is is kind of one of the most coveted styles of oysters that there is. Um, it's, it's got a little bit of muskiness and a little minerality um, without some of the cucumberiness or other flavors that you get from much more northern oysters. Um, so it's, you know... What's sort of yeah. I mean,
2: the word of miroir yeah. The thing
1: about oysters is that because they're filter feeders, you taste the water in which they're grown. Mm-hmm. So just the way grapes have uh, distinctive flavor if they're grown in Burgundy or Bordeaux, oysters uh, really do mirror the, the waters that they're in. Um, and so if you're, if you're kind of fancy pants about oysters, you can blindfolded taste where in the world oysters are from. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of one of the fun things. And I think maybe part of why oysters have really had a, a renaissance
2: and the, the Apalachicola oysters are kind of like chunky, funky, right? They're kind of like big. Yeah, they're, they're not the prettiest things yeah. to look at.
1: The wild ones. I mean, a lot, of, a lot of wild oysters, because they have like barnacly things that grow on them and they grow big and fat. Um, they're They're really strong shelled. Um, they're, they're not the prettiest things mm-hmm. to look at. They're not those delicate little, they're not first date oysters, let's just say. They're yeah. kind of, they're more <laughs> things maybe you kind of, you, you look away to put the whole thing in your yeah. mouth. Um, yeah, but they're, but, you know, for people who are into oysters, there's a, there's a kind of a, uh, just a, a real, um earthiness and kind of animalness to their their flavor that's a little less delicate or demure than some of the farmed oysters that you'll get.
2: And so for years and years, decades, uh, there was a robust what we call a harvest, right, basically Describe kind of the system of how how the oyster men would get the oysters out of the water and the process they would go through with the shucking and then how they would get to diners for, so for the last decade. It, it is a crazy
1: process. I mean, these guys, if you see them, they have, you know, kind of Popeye forearms, you mm-hmm. know. Um, so they go out, usually two, pe- two people on a boat. Um, and they drag these rakes along the bottom and when they hear when they get kind of r- r- like vibrations in the rakes, they know they've hit an oyster bar on the bottom. So it kind of makes this noise, sends a kind of vibration up the up the rake. They stop the boat and they take these tongs that are like two forks connected like scissors and they they scissor them back and forth against the bottom and they drag up these big clusters of oysters and then they have to hammer the, the clusters apart. Um, and legally, they have to be three inches or bigger. Um, so this has been decades of, or, you know, centuries, really, and generations of families that have done this. You know, at one point, there were um, a third of every male, you know, a third of the male population of Apalachicola were oyster tongers. So this is a, a job that there was a lot of a lot of uh, oysters out there, to. Your daddy you know, did it. His yeah, daddy Yeah, did exactly. It, yeah. it was that kind of thing. And, you know, it's not it's very different. It's the, it's the difference between hunting and farming. I mean, mm-hmm. you are not cultivating the land. You are not a, you know, a husband in any way in terms of this. Is, this is not like a, a flock of, of, you know, lambs that you're trying to take care of. I mean, this is a, this is a hunting endeavor. Um, and unfortunately, starting about a decade ago, the, um, the plentifulness uh, began to dwindle for yeah. a variety of reasons. And that's part of what we get out of this in this story.
0: You wanted these oysters, that's why you come to Appalach. I come to Appalach to eat Appalach oysters, and I can't find any. Okay? Well, here's why. So should you care? or would you rather just go get oysters somewhere else? But not only that, Mother Nature should matter to everybody. I mean, uh, flowing water through Georgia and all. that should matter to someone, right?
2: Let's get into some of those reasons. What happened to Apalachicola Bay and some other bays around the country
1: to to basically decimate the, the process you just described? So over-harvesting is a big problem everywhere because the unfortunate thing about oysters is that baby oysters adhere to... Bigger oyster shells. So if you take all those shells out of the water, the baby oysters have nothing to adhere to. So in addition to that, just over you know not not taking care of the fishery properly and over-harvesting, then you have problems. And this is not just Apalachicola Bay, but a lot of bays around the the, the country and, and the world um, are dealing with salinity, greater salinity. And some of that may be a climate change issue. In and the we'll case kind of
2: break that down, the water saltier, right? Saltier, just, just, just saltier. saltier. Yep.
1: So. Um that is bad for a variety of reasons partly um Oyster shells are a little more brittle in higher saline situations. But mostly the problem—I mean, oysters are hardy. They can they can deal with a lot of different environments. But the biggest problem is that you'll get saltwater predators who, you know, when you have a, an estuary system with brackish water or, you know, kind of more fresh water coming in, those predators are kept at bay most of the year. You know, there may be a few weeks out of the year where they sneak in and do a lot of damage. But when you have much more saline water— those saltwater predators can come in and camp out, and it is just a huge buffet. So Mm. a lot of – they'll eat up all the baby oysters. They'll eat up a lot of the – you know, a lot of times um, a lot of fish species and shellfish species come into an estuary to spawn. So the little babies are all in that estuary Mm. system, and, you know, the predators kind of, you know, like jaws. Mm. They just come in and just (laughs) scoop it all up. So that's part of the problem. And in Apalachicola Bay – um, the salinity issue may be some somewhat related to climate change, but the bigger issue is that we've been in this ongoing 30-year legal battle with the state of Georgia. Um, as as the Atlanta metro area has grown, their their need for fresh water has grown. So they've kept more of the river water for themselves for agriculture for you know potable water. And that has meant that the water, the fresh water that comes down and dumps into Apalachicola Bay from Apalachicola River and other rivers up to the north um, has been diminished. So, you know, you have less fresh water coming in. Obviously, the, the water is going to get saltier.
2: So there's so Florida saying Georgia stopped taking our water. And, and Georgia is saying
1: it's our water. It's our water. You know? water. And Be also, you know, it, you know, this has gone all the way up to the Supreme Court mm-hmm. and Unfortunately, the, 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 the special guy who was hired to, you know, look at this problem said, yes, uh, Florida has had harm done to it by the water usage in Atlanta and greater, you know, the, the greater metro area. However, Florida has not proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that if that water were returned, that the oyster population would come back. Yeah, and that so. case is
2: still ongoing. So all this is going. You have the water wars. You have climate change. You have all these issues over-harvesting. And then the, the BP oil spill happened. Yeah.
1: So some people say the BP oil spill had nothing to do with oysters uh some people say the oil did affect uh, spat set, which is the babies, you know. Um, some people say the dispersant, because there's an enormous amount of dispersant used to bead up the oil and sink it to the bottom. And those oysters are on the bottom. So some people say the dispersant from the spill contributed to the problem. Um, but the bigger issue uh, was that the governor, uh, the, the, the Apalachicola oystermen petitioned the governor in advance of the BP oil coming into the bay um, they said, open up the fishery. Let, let us take what we can take now because it may be decimated, you know, two weeks from now. And so that's what happened. So there was – in 2010, there was this enormous oyster grab. People were grabbing anything that was – you know, wasn't even legal, yeah. you know, the, the, the sized oysters. They were just – anything that they could get off the bottom, they were bringing it in, which meant that the, the next year, the, the baby oysters had nothing to adhere to. Yeah.
2: Total disaster. So this is kind of a good time to talk about our family that we explore in this story. I think, because um, they're kind of right at the crux of this tension of the story. They're one of these oystering families and, and other kinds of seafood um, for for generations, um, and they're right in the middle of this oyster collapse. And they kind of uh, are at this point where they have to figure out what to do next. So tell me about T.J. and Tommy Ward and the Ward family. So Tommy business.
1: Ward has been kind of the, the poster boy for, for the oystering community for a long time. And he actually went and spoke in front of the Supreme Court um, on behalf of the Apalachicola oystermen. He's, you know, there, there are four generations of the Ward family that have made their life on the water. Um, shrimping. Tommy's about how old? Fifty-eight. Yeah. Um, and his son T.J. is twenty-eight. Um and you know they've 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 diversified so they have they they do shrimping, oystering. They have an oyster house. They have a retail um, outlet, and they've they've really had to um, change their their business model essentially in recent years as their bottom leases have yielded very little. Um, so Tommy is you know kind of taciturn. You know doesn't much care for for uh, the the suits in Tallahassee, but you know describe a,
2: this this. Turn, this turn of phrase in the story, when you guys read it, is, is one of my favorites. It talks about his face like a burnished penny. Is that right? Yeah, a
1: lot of the, the, the people who spend their lives out on yeah. the water, they have this kind of wind burn, sunburn, yeah. kind of, you know, a little bit raisinated kind of a <laughs> totally, vibe to yeah. them. But uh you know, the real it, deal. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, you know, he's, he's out there most days. Um, you know, his father was an oysterman and, you know, he has five brothers. They all have their lives somehow linked to the water. So as a family, they're having to cope with um, if this if the oysters, then the wild oysters don't come back, what then? You know And part of, it, part of it, their frustration is that a lot of these things have been decided um, in Tallahassee by people who don't really understand the system. Um, they kind of have this conviction that, the state is waiting for everything to fall apart completely before having to invest a huge amount of money in mm-hmm. fixing it. You know, they're they okay, if if we don't win the war with Georgia over the over the, the fresh water, then why not institute why not start a desalinization plant yeah. in Apalachicola Bay? Or, you know, we've got these predator problems. Why not have, you know, scientists at UF or Florida State Invested in figuring out ways to combat these these predators, so they feel that the that the state has not been proactive um, in in helping them help themselves um, to have the oysters come back, and so the big question is what next? Mm-hmm. And this is the next piece of our, our story and kind of why what we're what we were interested in um, getting at. So T.J. Ward, the son, is starting an oyster farm and. You can't do it in Apalachicola Bay. So he has to go over the county line. It's just an invisible line in the water. You, know? you don't know where Gulf County starts. It's like this part of the water or this part of the water. Exactly. Yeah. So he is now doing oyster farming. Um, over the county line in Gulf County. And and as a subject for a story like this, it, he was interesting because he's kind of a reluctant farmer. Yeah. You know, this isn't what he wants to do. Mm-hmm. His family is, he wants to do it the old way. And you can, if you go out with him on a boat, you can see his love for this. this we went out with him um, with Eve, Eli, the photographer on this story, we went out with him on a little flats boat and went to St. Vincent Island. And you can just see his affection for this part of the state, and it, it's gorgeous.
0: I used to go out there every day and dredge oysters, and you could see it just happening, just slowly deteriorating, like you weren't harvesting as much, and you couldn't really figure out why, maybe the oyster drills or things like that. but. It's just completely, it's completely gone. I don't, right out back here, I mean the oyster bar is completely gravel now. I don't know why that is. I used to go out and catch a bag, just eat for myself in the winter time. That's why I'm oyster farming. One reason I am doing that is because of oyster drills and conks there, I think they're doing one of the biggest tolls on the oysters in this bay.
2: Is that but where he proposed to his wife yes, uh, on St. Vincent yes. Island. So got, I love all this, the details in the story of him in high school, shucking oysters on the back of his truck and just eating them right out of the shell, which, like nowadays, someone would, you know. Oh, yeah, he made, a, he made us do that. that. Yeah. He, would,
1: he reached down, picked up yeah. oysters, shucked them, and, and handed them they to us. They were so plentiful back then. He just yeah. grew
2: up around this water and around this product and these people. So, yeah, for him to go. He's not one of these, like you described the people who are getting into this aquaculture, they call it, which is a fancy word for farming, but um, they're kind of slick, you know.
1: Well, a lot of them are have marine biology degrees yes. and are, you know, it's a very tech, technologically yeah. advanced, you know, they have apps on their phone for monitoring the salinity level and the temperature of the water. And, you know, so it's, it's definitely people who are educated, um, a lot of kind of techie millennials are getting into it. And I wouldn't describe TJ as particularly mm-hmm. techie. I mean, he's, 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 a millennial. A, he's a guy who basically doesn't use the voicemail on his phone. And, <laughs> you know, he's he's not yep. he likes the old the old way of doing things. Mm-hmm. So to embrace this has been um, maybe in some ways against his better judgment.
2: Yeah. So talk about you said the um, the oyster aquaculture, the farming on top of the water is not allowed in uh, Franklin County. And I I want you to kind of explain why and then get into like how the oyster farming works and why they're kind of opposed to it. So these these farmers keep coming before the county commission and going, I'd like to try a farm. My my bottom lease is out. And the county commission is saying, nope, next. Nope, next. Right.
1: Well, I I went into this story with this preconceived notion that this was kind of you know, the educated versus the not educated mm-hmm. or the haves versus the have-nots and that it was a, a, you know, a techie group versus a anti-technology group. You know, those kinds of real right. hard dichotomies. Um, and I think the more I talk to people, the more I realize it's much more complicated than that. Than that. Um, the thing about top of the water column, we need to explain. So yes. so you can farm oysters at the bottom but because of those predators, because of a variety of things, it's much easier and more effective. Sometimes, some of it's just that it's easier to do physically to have the oysters in bags or you know tied to lines or in baskets or whatever at the at the surface of the water, so that you can check on them, so that you can sift them and spread them out across more cages. Um, so, the problem with having acres of you know, PVC piping and lines and baskets at the surface of the water is and you that's really, what it looks
2: like, right? You describe it as like railroad tracks on the top of the water with all these things hanging. Yeah, from so them. they're
1: buoys that basically suspend baskets and and kind of you know different shape. There there are a few different kinds, but these baskets filled with oysters at the surface. Mm-hmm. And the problem with that, um, it took me a while to kind of figure this out, is that well then you, you really are impeding public access to those parts of the of the surface of the water. You know, if you have mm-hmm. 10 acres of of oyster farm at the top of the water, you know, ecotourism might... Kayakers. Kayakers, you know, uh, Cola Bay has a ton of fishing guides. Mm-hmm. And people, who, that's a huge source of income for the, especially for the, the oystermen who are out of work or uh, yeah. underemployed. Um, they'll take people out, you know. So if you have all of these acres of farm at the surface. And then there's the issue of what if they fail? You know, what if a farm fails? Whose responsibility is it to take all that piping out, all of those bags, all that stuff out of the surface of the water? Or, you know, shrimpers who often will move at night. A shrimper plows into an a oyster farm. Who's liable? Mm-hmm. You know, who has to pay for the damage? So there, there are a lot of questions that remain. And I think for a lot of the, the kind of county commissioners in Apalachicola, it's a... It's a a seafood town, but it's multi-pronged. And I think that they feel like, well, when the oysters were on the bottom, what you did at the surface could be anything. Mm-hmm. you know, it, the bottom oysters in no way impeded fishing. And in fact, you know, oysters really do because they're they they clean the water. they do a lot of they're beneficial to the water in a lot of ways. They improve fishing around it
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so Franklin County's kind of dug its heels in for those reasons you already stated, but there's also this sense that, it's, it's also going to kind of kill this way of life. If, if everything becomes a farm, the water is going to become this regulated farming operation, and
1: these people will kind of just be gone,
2: these people who have made their living tonging.
1: Yeah, there, there are a lot of elements to this. So oyster farming, you can make them reach maturity much quicker. Mm-hmm. So you got the old school, to, you know, you're going around with these tongs. It takes three years maybe for those oysters to reach maturity, two or three years. Mm-hmm. And top of the water column – They're really clean looking, they're uniform, they're very much what we like to eat when we go out to an oyster bar.
0: I will perfect what I have to do to make sure that I produce oysters, but it's gonna take a while. There's people that have several years um, in this aquaculture of of oysters, and I'm just starting, so. Now I work at the seafood market a lot, and um, don't get me wrong, I do enjoy it, but It's not the same as going out on the water. Like, I would rather be out on the water anytime.
2: Let's stop for a minute and talk about oysters, like in general, as an item. Because I think this is really interesting. You have some facts in your story about this food, this really kind of perfect food. Well, I think so.
1: I mean, I I, I am a huge fan. I, I, think, I think we that... disagree
2: a little on whether we want to eat oysters. <laughs> They're not my personal favorite, but yeah. a lot of people do love them. So talk a little bit about the history of this food and, and how they've kind of gone from this grungy thing to this very elevated she you know, sort of status symbol. That oh, they yeah.
1: Made. I mean, the, the funny thing about a lot of um, shellfish is that if you go back a couple hundred years in this country... Um, you know, oysters, lobster, those were the things that were fed to the indentured indentured servants, <laughs> the, the incarcerated, <laughs> you know. And, and it was funny, like the, the, the indentured servants would come and say, have it in their contract, I don't want to eat more than X number of lobsters or, or <laughs> oysters. So it was poor man's food for a long time. Um, but it, it, what's interesting to me is that if you go back, you know, kind of pre-Columbian history, you um, cultures that had access to oysters often were very early to adopt um, pottery art or painting or, you know, let's just say like recreational things yeah. that weren't necessarily, um, you know, productive, they had time. partly because they had time. Yeah. There's this huge, you know, resource of protein at their feet. Um, and I think that aquaculture generally in this country and around the world has gotten a little bit of a bad name. And that's partly because you have these huge farms, you know, tilapia and and salmon. We read about that stuff all the time that they they allow huge amounts of not beneficial effluvium, whether it's feed or bad, you know, let's just leave it there. Effluvium. Effluvium. Word of the back, day. <laughs> back into the water. Um, you know, and you've got antibiotics and pesticides and all kinds of problems with a lot of large-scale aquaculture but oysters are—you don't feed them. You, you know, you're mm-hmm. basically—they filter feed. They clean the water that they're in. They are beneficial to other species. They're beneficial in terms of, uh, you know, ero- coastal erosion. So they're they're one of the very few species that you can feel pretty good about yeah. eating. And and I I, debate, I have a bunch of vegan friends, and so we have <laughs> we have these conversations all the time. And you know, I kind of feel like oysters and, and things like mussels, because they don't have nervous systems that are developed, they don't essentially they don't have pain receptors. They
2: don't have thoughts, feelings, and a family. Yes. They don't have <laughs> well,
1: maybe they have a family, but they don't know they have a family. Yeah. Um you know, it's a it's a protein that you can kind of say um it's about as close to eating a, a plant as you get yeah. in the in the animal world. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a it's a food source, especially as we look towards the future and and think about 9 billion people on the planet by 2050, we've got to think of animal proteins that are sustainable, mm-hmm. that can be grown um, cost-effectively, and that can feed a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that for me, oyster oyster aquaculture is a, it's a win-win-win, mm-hmm. you know? Obviously, maybe not to the old oyster tongers of Apalachicola Bay.
2: Yeah, um, people now like to eat them Time was, they would sh- the ladies would shuck them. They would go into a jar, and I say ladies, but it really was it was like, ladies. It was ex- exclusively ladies. Yeah. Um. They shuck them. They the oysters would so go into a thing. big jar. Yeah. And the shells would go down a chute into a giant pile, and then they'd go back in the water, right? And so that's how the oysters would would um, regenerate. Um, now, if you go to a restaurant, you don't just get a pile of oysters unless they're fried or something. You get uh, you know a pretty plate with crushed ice and you get your little half shell and your oyster on it with your mignonette and you know something fancy on top and that's how we like to eat them so the, the, they've really elevated into a food that requires the shell if you want to sell them now.
1: Yeah. And that's that is the big unfortunate thing that those oyster shells are not making it back into their bodies of water of origin. Um, A lot of them end up in landfill. And, you know, that right there, obviously, landfill is a problem in a number of different directions. But if those shells aren't ending up back in the water, there is nothing for those baby oysters to adhere to. So it's kind of We're exacerbating this problem by how we're eating oysters. I mean, it used to be like 90% of oysters were canned. You know, those ladies would shuck them and they would go in these gallon containers and the ladies would get a a poker chip for every gallon (laughs) of oysters that they, and they, you know, keep their little stack of poker chips and then cash out at the end of the day.
2: So this segues nicely into what the state has tried to do to replenish the bay after the oil spill, and all the tongers came in and grabbed everything up. What happened next?
1: Well, so there had obviously there was a lot of BP money, um, spill money to spread around. Um, I think the state of Florida got three point two billion dollars um, in for restoration. A very small percentage of that um, went to the ap- to restoration of Apalachicola Bay, and. They started the first restoration projects. Were using um, shell and fossilized shell to, to basically drop shell back out into the water. And, and we spoke with with Commissioner of Agriculture Adam Putnam, and he said basically his agenda was to specifically hire out of work Apalachicola oystermen to employ them to basically shell reshell the bay. Mm-hmm. So they've had several rounds of this, and most recently, because the state goes with the lowest bid on on these projects. They um, they went with high calcium content limestone, mm-hmm. and there, there's not an enormous amount of evidence that this is successful. And I think a lot of the people in Apalachicola Bay are deeply suspicious that this will be effective at all. Um, so that this let's was, set
2: the scene. Like these out-of-work oystermen are going out on boats with buckets or hauls full of rocks, basically – and getting paid to put them in the water and basically
1: dump rock in dump the water. Dump rock in
2: the water, and we don't have any evidence that this will work to replenish the oysters. Not this particular limestone, or let's say it's shaky at best. right? Yes,
1: exactly. So the scientific evidence of, of that this is, you know, of its efficacy is is pretty uh, dismal. Mm-hmm. Partly because it's hard to figure out precisely what is responsible for rebound or you know further decimation. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the the what's pretty clear is that the salinity issue, even if you get spa, spat this baby oysters to adhere to this limestone, um they're going to get picked off by predators. They're, they're, the 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 root problems are not um have not been taken care of.
2: And so what does Adam Putnam say about this? You know, this this endeavor, the the Franklin County's um, refusal to allow farming, What's his take on it?
1: I think he's enormously frustrated. Mm-hmm. I think he says, Essentially, um, there there are ways for them to make their livelihood uh, with oysters, and they have refused to embrace this new technology.
2: And what do the wards think about this? I mean, Tommy Ward has some pretty big feelings about um, the project, the the reshelling project, and um... yeah, he
1: he basically thought that was a make work project that it was essentially like digging a hole and filling it up, and yeah. that it was that it was welfare for the oyster the out of work oysterman. And mm-hmm. I think he he's he does not have an enormous amount of affection for some of his brethren. I think he feels like they um, have been waiting around for a handout. Yeah. Um, but well, he also the- feels like the the, the state has uh, come down on the side or has embraced aquaculture at the expense of wild oysters. And I think that that's something that's um, heartbreaking for them.
2: The the area has endured a lot of crime and drugs and stuff. Um, the what are the oystermen? like up there and what kind of yeah. it's, it's kind of a rough kind crowd of, we yeah. went to so
1: w- while we were up there we went to what used to be called club 98 and got downgraded to bar 98 oh, which was which good. seemed utterly appropriate yeah, you bad. know <laughs> two pool tables the felt not in great shape Oh no um, no, it's it's rough and and i think that that they've always been a kind of a hard living group and i think it used to be that beer was the the uh mm. The uh, poison of choice, and I think it's moved on as it has in a lot of places, especially poor places. You know, there's uh, opioid problems, meth problems. I, I think that the, the sheriff there has, has said uh, emphatically that drugs are the biggest problem that Franklin County faces.
2: And there's been some incidents of these guys— like lighting each other's boats on fire to try to get grab up the oysters first. I oh mean, yeah, I mean it's it's the,
1: it's it's turf war. You know yeah. it's it's the Crips and the Bloods. So there, you know, I think that that's another thing that a lot of the county commissioners in Franklin County are worried about. If if they do allow oyster aquaculture, what's to prevent people from going out in the middle of the night and stealing each other's stuff? Mm-hmm. Uh, and there there already is some of that. You know, even with bottom leases. Um, you know, TJ and and his dad have definitely had some theft over the years, and and I think that there is generally this sentiment that, well, you know, yeah, you may have the lease, but no one really owns the oysters. Yeah. It's not like it, it's not like your your cows, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. That's interesting.
2: So. Let's talk journalism for a minute. I mean, this was a sort of different story for you. You've done obviously you did Farm to Fable, our big project on food fraud in the restaurant and uh, farmers market industry. You've done years and years of of. Uh, Food criticism and different kinds of reporting—it was kind of new for you to embed with a family for this long um, and get to know them and try to tell their story, right? Um, a oh bit, yeah, yeah. So
1: I, for me, I guess I am so accustomed to um, calling people or getting in touch with people for a story, and they're thrilled to tell me their stuff. Yeah, you know, <laughs> whether it's like, oh yeah, do a—I st- want a story on my restaurant, yeah. or you know, an agriculture story where someone is doing some kind of new, some new innovative thing that's kind of. You know disruptive technology or whatever and and they may not be effective at telling their own story, but they're certainly thrilled at the idea of someone like us, you know a paper like us uh, mm-hmm. telling their story so this was a, a unique thing for me and that I, I don't think that the awards really they're they're fatigued you know yeah. I think that they've um, they've been embroiled in this battle for a long time and they've seen a lot of the their livelihood taken away and I don't think when they look at the future um, they're super hopeful about the bay coming back, um, so I don't think that they were thrilled mm-hmm. at, at being at the center of this story, um, being kind of the, the poster children for yeah. you know for this this almost like the interstices of where the oyster farming meets the the wild oystering. Yeah, you know, I think it's an uncomfortable place for them to be, and I don't think they were thrilled that we were there to witness it.
2: How did you and Eve um, spend time with them? Did you you went out on their boats? Did you go eat with them? Did you? Have so we we
1: went once together, and then we went once separately each. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that Eve, um, I think she did a better job at uh, becoming their, you know, their buddy yeah. and uh, getting to know them. Yeah. I think that. Um, sometimes having a camera maybe makes you just slightly more invisible than being the, the reporter with the notebook going, bah, 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 bah. You know,
2: tell me this, answer me this. Well, also for you as a reporter, your tendency is to, you like a lot of information, you like to talk. So I'm chatty, it's a, unfortunately. It's a, it's very chatty. I, it's, I think so it's that's a challenge. So it's harder for you to draw to, back and yeah. just listen and just observe and just like, you know, I remember with editing this story, like, I just want like, I just want to see them more. I want to feel them more and hear them. And, you know, and I think we got there definitely, but it was like just go sit in the room with them. yeah and that's I, a hard one for you that is a
1: hard one for me and I think for me also doing a story over a really long period of time um, it, you know I'm pick, picking it up and putting it down I think you lose a little something I think that my own reporting skills were were sometimes ineffective in that I would write down what people said uh-huh. But not so much what people were doing or yeah. how they felt. And so when I'm looking back at my notes from four months ago, it's really hard to put yourself back in that scene. Yeah.
2: I think it's funny. It's interesting. I mean, like there you know, this is a story about this family learning to do something new and you were kinda of right there with them in a in a new in a different kind of way, you know. You were you were you were both in this cool territory together. Um, well
1: I in some ways I think I'm more enthusiastic about oyster aquaculture than the wards are.
2: Yeah, <laughs> probably, probably so. So tell us, we'll wrap it up here. Describe the different tastes between a farmed oyster and a, in an oyster you would get off the bottom. There, like let's compare the two and like make a ruling.
1: Well, I met one one night that I was there. I met this guy, uh, Mark Henry, who is longtime oyster, oysterman. His father, his grandfather, etc. And he said to me, the only thing about farmed oysters they ain't got no taste. <laughs> and, I, and I, I mean, I just I love that. But I thought you know yeah. So farmed oysters. They're they're cleaner tasting. They're they're perhaps not as funky. Mm-hmm. They're you're usually a little smaller and more perfectly shaped. Easier to just like whoop, you know down yeah. the hatch. Um, an an oyster like a a, a classic eastern oyster may be a two biter, which is not you know which is <laughs> right. not what everyone wants. Right. Uh, yeah. It may be a better fried oyster than a than a, on a half shell oyster unless you're you know. Kind of a, a he man. Um, Is there a time
2: and a place for both?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that, that as with a lot of other kinds of of animal proteins, you know, people like people like the kind of wild gaminess, you know, of a uh, a venison or something mm-hmm. like that, as opposed to, you know, uh, a farm raised whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's a different it's a different beast, and I, I do think that there's something wonderful about being able to discern things about the the water in which they grew.
2: Well, next time you're ordering oysters, as always, ask your server where they're from, and then ask them again <laughs> where they're from. Yeah, until we, you we get definitely the real answer. <laughs> we encountered
1: that. So we had some uh, some Appalachian oysters along the way. That once we pressed, uh, were revealed to be Texas oysters. Yeah.
2: Always think about what you're eating. That's the Laura Riley message. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you so much for talking about Shell Game. You guys can read it at slash oysters and uh, in your Sunday Tampa Bay Times. And we hope you enjoy it. Thanks so much, Laura.
0: Thanks. <laughs>